Yeah, there's a yeah rhythm of formula. There's a definite rhythm to the way that they have their conversation. Sort of like here, where I just talk and then eventually start yelling and then at some point run out of breath and have to get a sip of water. And, oh, then, and then you start talking, where Lori does her bullshit with the raising of the hands. <laughs> podcast that is, as ever, ideologically committed to non-ideology, operating within a framework of never having a framework, a religious devotion to irreligion, a fundamentalism whose only core tenet is that the certainty of any dogmatism is a hindrance to understanding, not a guiding light, a podcast whose doctrinal creed simply goes in no particular order. Oh, yeah? Not so sure about that. And, all right, man, whose enduring iconography, wrought in glorious pink and gray cast iron over the actually quite inviting and not at all imposing gates of the non-church of the freely associated temporary denizens of the great internet brain iron, is the eternal agnostic shruggy. The perpetual raising of the shoulders and the hands and the eyebrows towards the heavens in perhaps somewhat dismissive skepticism. The only thing worth preserving in permanence here. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? I am hoping we can end early. Lori is hoping we can end early. Tonight is... Monday, November the 7th, 2022. Abe, got a special guest. We have a live studio audience tonight. My sister, oh? Catherine, is here. You can see her over my left shoulder there in the television. Hey. Hi, Abe. Hi, Cast How you doing? Iron Brains. Catherine listens to the show. Catherine's a listener. That's we found one, Bob. In studio. That's right. We found one. We now have... <laughs> 125% of our normal audience now <laughs> in studio with us. The most inefficient podcast ever. Just just call somebody. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys met before and hung out? You, I mean, I've obviously known Catherine for, I mean, what are you, Catherine's got to be almost 40 by now. So like 40 <laughs> years or something. Give or take. Uh, and then Abe, I've known you since... Yeah, we met sometime in 2012 or 2014, yeah. by your by your memory. Uh, <laughs> have you guys ever hung out? I can't remember. You know, my memory uh, is not very good, uh, so I always defer to the other person. But I, I mean, the opportunities to meet would have to have been limited, right? Was it Chris's wedding and what else? Oh, right. oh it was we Chris's forgot. wedding. It was definitely so at least Chris's wedding, yeah. Okay. I think maybe twice then. I forgot okay. about Chris's wedding. Okay. And so there was another. Was it in Athens? Quite a long time ago in Athens, maybe okay. once. If okay. it was in Athens, it must have. It would have been if you ever made it to our house on Whitehall with Chris. I don't. No, it was when we weren't together and your whole family visited. And why would Abe have shown up in that because case? Abe would, was living there then. We might have gone and played baseball. He might have gone and played baseball with us. I don't know. It's I possible. sound uh, you. You make me sound like 
one of these weird characters in like a sitcom. Like he, this person's always there, just like they're yeah. showing right. up, just like, <laughs> <laughs> just like Kramer or something. Just yeah. like hey, I'm here. You might have Kramered yourself into yeah. the picture there. My question: Catherine and I were talking in the car, and her only visual of Abe was the drawing in the logo. And what oh. I want to know is how true the video of Abe is to your mental picture of Abe. It's pr- it's pretty accurate. Yeah. I, should, I don't have a hat around me, but it's like, yeah, you gotta you just yeah, you I just gotta find that's that. That's probably what's missing. That's yeah. pretty accurate. Red and white plaid button up and the hat, <laughs> that's and right. you'd be good to go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I certainly recognized the person on the screen. Yeah, yeah, and you guys, <laughs> must, you must have hung out and drank some at Chris's wedding. And I don't see how that, I don't see how Abe could have come to Chris's wedding and then not been introduced to Catherine. Like that doesn't make any sense. Not a it lot of us remember what happened at Chris's. Yeah, wedding. there's a lot of, lot of beverages consumed. Didn't I fall asleep? Way. Not by me. A I lot? was pregnant. Did you fall asleep a lot? Yeah, well, I mean, usually. Was there a baseball game that I missed because I was just like, ah. Uh, Oh, yeah. That's right. You passed out and missed the. Ent- oh, man. My brother invites like 27 dudes to his fucking bachelor party, including my best friend for some reason. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, obviously, Chris and Abe, for a long time, if there yeah. was hanging out to be done, it was Abe and Chris doing the hanging out because I was working a terrible job and they had normal uh, day job type things. And so you guys were uh, especially like. The old Sundays at the at the pizza place with the dollar blue moons kind of oh, hang out, buddies. Right. But yeah, I do believe that we were scheduled to go to a Kansas City Royals game, and you fell asleep in the hotel yes. room before yes. we took off. Well, that's very, very in keeping with what Abe but does. Catherine wasn't there. Abe devourer of of subs on hotel room floors. <laughs> Abe who who may or may not have Boy! passed. Who may or may not Where have am I? passed out in the trunk outside oh, of no. a, a Georgia-Florida <laughs> game in Jacksonville. Quick nap. That's all it was. Uh, yeah. Anyway. No, I don't have any good anecdotes about Catherine. I once made her cry and, and broke her poor little heart when I told her I was uh, getting on my bicycle and heading for Jupiter with my brother. It's always been an asshole. Christopher. <laughs> Yep, she thought we were just gone. That her, her two shining lights in the world, her big brothers, who she trusted with everything, had just decided to ride their bikes across the fucking solar system because that's what I told her we were going to do. <laughs> just for what was the motivation? Just for shits and giggles? To I don't know. Asshole. I was only going to be gone for twenty minutes. Like, how much harm could I have done? You know, is probably what I was thinking. I was like nine or ten years old. Uh, anyway, Abe, you uh, do anything fun this weekend? Well, uh, you know. I- on Saturday, there was the Georgia-Tennessee game. and uh, Great, great sports day. Yeah, before that game became interesting, because Tennessee is usually not that good. So, uh, in advance, I bought tickets to the Atlanta Hawks-New uh, Orleans Pelicans game. Wait, that, wait. Do you, are you guys, did you guys do the, the season tickets thing again this year? We did no? the 10-game weekend package thing, like last year. Right, yes. that was last year, not this year. This year, too. Okay. This, this, <laughs> okay. Is it, a, is it another ten? Is it another ten weekends? But it also includes, for some reason, like three Tuesdays. They cleaned it up. You know, maybe they listened. I, I don't know. I complained at some point. I don't know on a podcast or just out loud. But they 
It was almost the certainly the, the reach of our podcast That's and right. you complaining about it on the show. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, now they're actual weekend days because we had a weekend package that included, like you said, Tuesdays and Monday. You know, they had a very loose definition of weekend. But anyways, 7.30 game and, you know, college football games last forever. And everybody's thinking this is going to be a uh, close game, Tennessee, right. Georgia. And so if it was going to be close, I, I would just miss like half of the basketball game that i paid for but by halftime the georgia tennessee game was basically over and so i was able to plan ahead and go to the hawks game so it was fun uh, just a whole who, day uh, who won the hawks game that went into overtime and the hawks uh prevailed at the end so that nice. was good yeah the football was just fucking spectacular this so weekend. Good. it was not just that georgia beat tennessee obviously there were also a handful of other very fun games that were on I'm trying to remember now. I mean, um, excuse me, Alabama LSU. Right. Alabama LSU was a really which, great game. Abe, I have to tell you, I yeah. got my COVID vaccine on Saturday morning, right. knowing that I was going to probably feel bad Saturday night. Oh, that's and right. What yeah. I was doing was setting myself up for losing to Tennessee and feeling bad. And then just kind of riding, feeling bad right, into right. the night and morning. And I, we won, which was pretty great. And I was watching that Alabama LSU game, which I was excited about, but I was feeling bad. And so, I was watching it, yeah. and I watched Alabama score with like three minutes left. And my brain was like, that's all you can do. You're going to sleep now. So you went to sleep thinking, you went to sleep thinking one result? I, do, I, I didn't intentionally go to sleep. Okay. But like, yeah, I saw, uh, okay, Alabama won. I, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. And I went to sleep. And you know when you have a fever, you kind of wake up and go back to sleep and wake up and go back to sleep. I woke up. And the two derps on the TV were like, oh, well, now that Alabama lost two. And I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> it's that, how? And then I, I went back to sleep again. So it wasn't until the next morning that I actually, I was like an old person who goes yeah. to bed before football ends. <laughs> yeah, fourth quarter, Alabama scores 15 to LSU's 10 to end up in a tie to send it into overtime. In overtime, it take overtime. The first Alabama possession took like fucking twenty minutes because there were multiple reviews. Brian Kelly okay. was having a goddamn aneurysm. There was a tipped pass that somehow got missed by the refs, even on a replay that they that so they left a pi that should have been blown dead or what have you. Right. Uh, Brian Kelly is a desperately unappealing human being when you yeah. watch him on the on the it's side. It's hard of the, for me to like LSU as much yeah. as I used to with him, but you know. You could watch Brian Kelly on the sideline and easily imagine that he's the sort of person who's gotten a graduate assistant killed in a practice because yes. he wouldn't call it on account of weather, and instead the kid died, which in fact is, of course, what happened. A true story, uh, right? Right, yeah. actually what happened. But it must be said that it is also hilarious that in overtime, LSU decides to go for two at home. Balls. And just win the game outright. Which, if you if you do that and lose, like, I guess he must be thinking, like, I have nothing to lose here. Like, if I want to win the conference, I need to win this game, and I need to win it any way that I can. Well, and it's that thing where, like, it's never going to look bad to say, I trust my players to do, you know, like, I put my faith in my guys 
and it didn't work is fine. Is this one of those uh, uh, calls that uh, the nerds uh, uh, approve of? Like I have no idea. An- I don't think they even look into this. What, like, what in the world? The, the analytics on a two-point conversion, you have a 50-50 chance, I guess. Generally speaking, you're supposed to be at about 50-50 to complete any two-point conversion. I think that might be an NFL stat. I don't know what it is in college. But assuming that it's a coin flip, do you have a better or worse chance than a coin flip if you continue into a second overtime? Right. And the way that, that their offense was going and the relative struggle that Alabama was having, I would have I would have assumed that we as an LSU team, we could have kept scoring. Uh, it should but, be known, by the way, that when I went to bed after like the first quarter, Bob was pulling for Alabama. Yeah. That's what was wanted, happening. It's fine. I don't want to face LSU in a year where they have two losses and they're coming out of the West. Like they do this every fucking decade or so where they put together a team that at the start of the year didn't look like anything good was going to happen. And then all of a sudden they catch some fucking weird Cajun magic in a bottle. And they like, what was it? 2007, maybe when they did that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But that was like that 2007 was a crazy year. Uh, I ask this question a lot, I know, but is LSU good? Like, I, I don't know. Like, this whole weekend, I just, uh, there were a lot of games I didn't watch because I was out and about. And the next day, I'm looking at the scores. I'm like, what? Like, Notre Dame, are they good? Like, Clemson? No, Notre no, Dame is no, no good, but no, Clemson Clemson's stinks. not good either. Yeah. Finally, okay. we, we can see it. Also, Ohio State might not be any good. No, they yeah, just yeah, had so a bad it, game. It, because, like, earlier in the year, I don't... Uh, follow LSU football, uh, full disclosure. Uh, but I do recall at the beginning of the year, they lost some game. And I was like, well, that's enough of them. Florida like State. that team sucks. Yeah. And now they've, I don't know. Are they good? I don't know. I don't know. They've got a big, SEC a big, fast and talented quarterback that they have at least that going for them. In any event, Alabama now is almost certainly out of the national title picture. But it's not 100 percent, right? But it's they, not 100 no, percent. Not 100 percent, but it would take it a It can't lot. be 100 percent considering it's an entirely bullshit subjective thing where some men in a room just decide which four teams belong in the playoff rather than any other considerations. But they, they would need to win out and LSU would need to lose out in order for uh, LSU not to represent the West. No, Ole in, Miss. What about Ole Miss? They only have one loss. I think, Bob, you're basically saying for Alabama to get in, these things would have to happen. But right. For Alabama to get in, if Alabama wins out and LSU loses out, Ole Miss would have lost to Alabama this coming weekend, and Alabama would get in. I see. Okay. But whatever. LSU is almost certainly going to be representing the West, and there's basically no scenario in which Georgia cannot be representing the East in Atlanta and the SEC. All right. I wanted to, uh, before we, I mean, obviously it's Monday. We have the elections going on tomorrow. We're going to get into a little bit of uh, rank punditry here before we get out of here tonight with some guesses about what's going to happen tomorrow. Before we do that, though, and the the thing that inspired my annoying opening at the top there, there's this tweet. It's usually a tweet that inspires an annoying opening at the top. Wesley Yang is a writer. He tweets at Wes Yang, W-E-S-Y-A-N-G, and a, a good follow on Twitter. I use that that term advisedly. It's not to say that everything that he tweets is good necessarily or or that I agree with any do, do not do not assume that I agree with any percentage of what it is that he's tweeting. Just that he tweets interesting things. He gets a little bit too close to the Christopher Rufo end of the anti woke spectrum at times. He's a, he's a little bit too credulous 
of the Christopher Rufo types, if that means anything to you. Is Rufo a household name? Is he the guy that's on the, the right that's uh, Rufo con- is the, concocting things? He's like the one who's decided that he's going to do everything in his power, including you know lie about what CRT is in order to make CRT an unacceptable phrase and, and basically rebranding CRT as anything that he doesn't like and then getting it kicked out of schools. So that's that's Christopher Rufo. He's done work in that space and on the, in the, the gender critical space as well. So, that, But that's not who Wesley Yang is. Wesley Yang is a writer. He wrote a book called The Souls of Yellow Folk, which is a, a widely read and respected series of essays, sort of memoirish essays. And he's as smart as anybody on the anti-woke stuff without being a complete moron. So, I mean, it, it, in the same vein as sort of Andrew Sullivan, in my opinion, okay. good on that. He has a term for it. It's called, he, he calls it the successor ideology. He's written a lot about it. He's, anyway, Wesley Yang, good follow on Twitter. The reason that I point out that he's somebody who, who traffics in this anti-woke stuff so much is that that means that he's cultivated an audience of people not necessarily that he's done this on purpose, but the, the people who've, who follow him and comment on all of the shit that he does online are generally extremely anti-woke as well, right? That's, that's the nature of these platforms, the social media platforms, is that people who agree with uh, you tend to accumulate around you and then comment on your stuff and share your stuff. That's how it all works, right? Is that mostly due to uh, the algorithm, or is it like people seek out like-minded types? And I'm sure it's a gotta be both. It's gotta be both, right? Anyway, he tweets this out on November second. He says, "A ten-year-old boy in my daughter's class bowed to me and asked me if I was Mr. Miyagi. A clear racial microaggression, but because I am a secure adult, it did not offend or bother me at all. If it happened constantly, though, it might." Uh, He goes on, uh, follow-up tweet, Microaggression, quote-unquote, has come to be deployed in many ways, but in its original iteration was a type of speech that either conveys negative stereotypes, often held unconsciously, or simply singles someone out as seen through a racialized lens. It does not signal malintent. I invoke the term in the older sense, not as something to police, as it has later become, Quote, you look like random Asian man from 80s cinema does not have malintent, but it is an awkward reminder of racialized framing of oneself. If something like that happened daily, one can imagine it being wearing. And he he tweets a few more things, including laughing about the fact that he's now getting swarmed by the audience that he has cultivated over the last many years online for being... On what grounds? Just for, because now he's being a social justice warrior, right? He's for now that po- statement. That's too much. That's too far. Yeah, that's too far. Yeah. So what he said, <laughs> I'm going to read the first tweet again. A 10-year-old boy in my daughter's class bowed to me and asked if I was Mr. Miyagi. A clear racial microaggression, but because I am a secure adult, it did not offend or bother me at all. If it happened constantly, though, it might. Now, usually somebody who says... Oh, I'm completely unbothered by that. I'm not offended. You didn't hurt my feelings. You would often think, yeah, okay, man. Like, I'll I'll bet that this actually did bother you or else you wouldn't be talking about it. But he is enough of a weirdo and then sort of a, I mean, never met the person. So I can only go based on what I've seen online and what I've read of him. 
Maybe a touch spectrumy in the way okay. that uh, a lot of hyper online people seem at least sort of a spectrumy because like there's just something about the way that they talk about themselves and and when you when you start talking about yourself from the third person about how you felt in that moment and how you weren't bothered by it and now you're examining your reaction to something that seems to me sort of spectrumy like yeah maybe I'm being ableist there I don't Perhaps. know but I sort of I believe him when he says I wasn't offended or bothered by it, but I do think it is worth, it's something that I noticed, right? And then I, you think about it a little further, if this happened to me all the time, I can see how that would become tiresome after some time. So, and do you think that is what the objection was? I'm trying to figure out uh, the people in his orbit that uh, took some objection to what he said. Is it that he's making a deal of it at all? Like you should just kind of let that go on noticed or uncommented on like i don't understand like it was very like simple kind of statement that he made it wasn't like he was kind of trying to make the point what they're what they're saying is that you're now calling this 10 year old child a racist and that you shouldn't be doing that even though he did not do that right even though he didn't do that but but he by saying that this person has done a racial microaggression now they're piling all of the everything that they've ever heard about social justice warriors they're putting on Wesley Yang and saying that's what's going on in his head and that he's the one doing the bad thing here there's a tweet that i that got under my skin and so i had to reply to it but that one of one of the responses to this thread from Wes Yang was Mr Miyagi is a badass sensei a person with strength passion focus and love for his students you can't possibly know what is in the heart and mind of a 10 year old to accuse him of racist intent my guess is that you impressed the hell out of him first of all uh <laughs> He didn't accuse him of yeah. racist intent. In fact, he made clear that that's, that's not what he was doing. Further, the idea that a 10-year-old sees a middle-aged Asian man, right? And well, I'll, just, I'll, just read what, I'll just read what I said in response. Oh, okay. Probably that kid was being a dick. Which doesn't mean he had racism in his heart or mind, of course, and probably didn't. Wes Yang was there, unbothered by it, as he says, but likely wouldn't have relayed the story if there was any indication that the kid was impressed by him. (laughs) That guy looks like that Asian guy I know from the karate movie my dad made me watch. I'm going to say something to him. Is obviously far more plausible than, I just witnessed Wes Yang do something awesome that reminds me of a coincidentally Asian cinematic hero of mine. Uh, like I just the idea that he saw Wesley Yang walking down the street and he like what did he snatch a fly out of the air with a pair of tweezers or something he's like oh oh uh, Mr Miyagi thank you like, no like no wait I'm in I'm allowed to no. do that I'm inhabiting the shitty ten year old no thing. it doesn't it's still just don't no it's fine by the way do you have any uh. There's no record of the kid doing a voice, right? Did he do the voice, or he just kind of did not the clear? Okay. West did not. Okay. As someone who's uh, on the spectrum, according to me, maybe he can't hear when somebody's making yeah. fun of his accent as well. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the point here is like, and that that's just one of the many responses that was giving Wesley Yang shit for even basically telling this story, right? Because any time that a person is telling this story about having an incident of of being racially essentialized by someone else that person must be doing the harm 
right? right. And I, it, it becomes this sort of thing where it becomes obvious to me that it's never good to ever have a side, like, like right. which is what my opening was all about. Like, if you have a framework in your head that doesn't allow you to understand an interaction or a, or a, a story as Wesley Yang is telling it here, that, like, if you only have an automatic reaction to that, that you can't possibly think about in any other way, other than the way that you've decided the world actually is, right. then you're, there's something wrong with the way that you've decided to see the world. Not that you're wrong necessarily, but that having that ideological framework has now primed you to right. completely misunderstand the reality of the world around you. And so, like, for me, anyway, that's as good a reason as any is to never walk around with a framework that forces you to understand things in ways that will not be in keeping with reality. But could you, I mean, could you do away with a framework? I always thought that this, you know, your worldview is kind of like a, uh, like an operating system for you to, to kind of relate to the world. And some people have too rigid of a framework. And so, like, I suspect some of these people, their worldview says that these microaggressions are blown out of proportion. Uh, people ascribe racist intent or sexist uh, intent behind things that are commonplace, right? So that's their worldview. Like basically they're kind of minimizing the possibility that somebody could do something in a racial manner today. They'll pin it on the past, but not today. Well, but part of it, part of it is that I think that they think that now what Wesley Yang is doing is like, is condemning this kid to hell. Right. As if, as if somehow so this kid has, it, right? Because right, he this, didn't kid, say that. this kid has sinned in a way yeah. that is not that is no longer socially acceptable, and because their fear is that they too see an Asian guy walking down the street, and somewhere in their head it trips something about Jackie Chan or Mr. Miyagi or something along those lines, then someday they're going to be strung up in the same way that they imagine Wesley Yang is trying to string up this kid. Right. When he's clearly not trying to do that. Yeah, he's, he's just trying to point saying, out— saying, like, I, I can see why that would bother someone. Right. Like, imagine <laughs> thinking that it is not acceptable to be bothered by some rando walking down the street and associating with you as just one individual among... He, the guy lives in New York, right? So there's 10 fucking million people around all the time. And he sees an Asian guy, and he's like, hey, look, it's Mr. Miyagi. Like, that's shitty. Like, And, and it's, it's crazy to think that that's anything but shitty. Right. Like it, it, one understands that it is not something that this kid should go to hell for or even necessarily pay any sort of serious consequence for beyond like hopefully if his parent overheard him being like, hey, come on. What the right. fuck? Right. We don't do that to people. Right. That's wrong, right? Somebody is – you don't uh, you just assume that somebody is this other guy just because they share a similar face shape and color. Right. Like that's shitty. But it doesn't mean that there's any harm done either to the kid or to Wesley Yang here. And it's just – it's the responses to it, which is just an anodyne anecdote from one of the most consistent and vociferous anti-woke rhetoricians on all of Twitter was – sort of shocking to me because i assumed that the people who were in his in, in his orbit were closer to the way that i see the world and able to actually like judge things for what they are rather than just automatically assign a sort of ben shapiro level of right. understanding of the world to it and that was that that's on me that's on that's my framework is assuming that like people out there are 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 roughly as smart as i am uh, and able to see the world with all of its nuance and complexity. Yeah, that's a bad assumption. I mean, the level 
where people want to engage is usually pretty shallow. Like I, I'm surprised that this Yang fellow who's uh, posting online a lot is not aware of the, if you have a in-group, out-group kind of setup, like there's going to be lumping, right? Like all accusations about woke whatever isn't, like if you actually read into that specific story, it's like, no, 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 it's a little more nuanced and here's the right points. But people aren't interested in that, right? So I'm surprised that a person such as this would not be anticipating this possibility. That if Well, you... but if he's a little spectrumy and he approaches all of this stuff as an academician, as right. somebody who's sort of studying it almost psych- sociologically, then he, it doesn't necessarily occur but to isn't him. That, I mean, that's bordering on the naive if you don't think that Basically, the people who are in his orbit sought him out because he was kind of assuaging any sort of like negative emotions or feeling about whatever, right? And so, like, he's giving them what they want. If you step outside of that, then fuck you. Like, you'll be thrown in the lump as well, right? So, like, as soon as, because how else could he, if if he had a redo, if if he still wanted to convey the same point, but he's like, well, maybe the way I phrased it uh, is throwing people off. Like, is there any way he could? phrase this to where he wouldn't get this reaction i don't think so because the main thing is the message it's like he's saying that there are situations where it would be wrong uh and we should you know be mindful of it this particular case it's just a kid i mean first of all anything a 10 year old is doing this is learned behavior right either from parents at yeah, home like or it's from peers. the parents right so it's like this is not an indictment on some kid is that they trying to make a larger point and that's right. the point and, that and they the don't point want. is that like somebody should not take some idiot 10 year old on the sidewalk calling you mr miyagi seriously right. that was the core point of the post right that's what he was pointing out is that while i understand that this over a long course of time would be annoying it wasn't in this case but one understands how this is the sort of thing that people react to but that you shouldn't basically right, right. and then he gets accused of doing the thing that he's saying you shouldn't actually do right because these people are, are are so convinced of their righteousness, the, the, the truth of it, absolutely blind. They're just staring right into the brightest sun imaginable. And you 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 try to talk to them, like, and they say, how could I be blind? I can see fucking yeah. everything. There's nothing. Right. They're just hyper-focused on this one thing, and every, everything else becomes secondary. It is. I mean, I guess the appeal to that way of thinking is that it's very simple, simplified, very, like, clear lines, black and white, either something extreme or it's not happening at all there's like no middle ground to where like if somebody's taking these weird passive aggressive shots at you or if they you know ignorantly say things uh and you correct them oh that's you can't even correct them because you're gonna you're gonna claim that they're racist or sexist or something so it's like you can't even make any nuanced point if they're not in it for that right and it reminds me slightly of the covington catholic thing where there's that that dumbass who got into a fight with the the native guy with the drum in Washington D.C. and all of the the shitty MSNBC types ran with it as one thing, and then Fox comes around and runs with it as something else, and it seems like there's more to the story than we initially got, and of course the kid ends up they sue the Washington Post, and I I don't remember what happens there. I think they win. It, in any event, I watched that video and I knew right away. What like that kid's an asshole. That doesn't mean that he like shouldn't go to college or something. Uh, it, like it doesn't mean that he should be canceled or whatever that phrase is supposed to mean. But like 
that kid's being an asshole. Like, I know the look on that kid's face. He's being an asshole. Yeah. It's the same exact thing that a 10-year-old kid who makes fun of the guy on the side of the street calls him Mr. Miyagi. That kid's being an asshole. Right. And then this fucking idiot on Twitter is like, you know what I think? I think he was super impressed by you. <laughs> it's like, what is it that you are actually, you imagine it is that you're accomplishing there? That you want right. people to walk around? Like, I, I understand that people want to have a the best possible like some people really take it seriously that they want to have only the best possible interpretation of everyone else's actions right and like that that's uh that's a good virtue to live by but it doesn't seem to me to be in keeping with also, truth or reality I, 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 and i'm not sure if that's what they're doing in this case i think that they presented this alternate possibility uh without knowing anything right they weren't there but they offered it because it's more uh, comforting that that'd be the case than what the commenter is saying, which is like this kid is being taught this thing. If it, it's a recurring thing, it's an issue. But as it stands, I'm not going to go crazy over what some 10-year-old told me. Right. All right. Uh, I want to move on here. We don't talk about a certain uh, person. So I, so I almost don't want to talk about Kyrie Irving because for the, for the same reason that we don't talk about uh, someone whose name will now be bleeped out of the podcast. Whenever we've said those syllables, it's the only thing that I bleep or otherwise obscure on the podcast. We will not, under any circumstances, talk about. I thought you were going to say the Dylan Roof or the Norwegian guy. Nope. Anders Brevik will talk about. Dylan Roof will talk about. Total uh, erasure for uh, good old. Cancelled from us is we, what these people there's are. No reason ever to talk about what Sawinak is doing, so we we do not do it. And Kyrie is like right on that same sort of area of like, do we need to talk about this person really? Right. I bet we don't. I bet we that's how we avoid it. We probably don't. Moving but, along. Uh, Kyrie has been suspended by the Brooklyn Nets. There's a, a very a, flat-footed response. How long did it take for them to actually suspend him? A breaking news headline or uh, alert went out on the ESPN app. It said, Nets suspend Kyrie Irving for at least five games without pay for, quote, failure to disavow anti-Semitism. And I sent a text to the group chat after I got that text, after I got that alert, just took a screenshot of that. And I just said, this is weird because that as the as the whole of it with with no context is fucking weird, right? right? Being suspended for a failure to disavow anti-Semitism seems like, on its face, with no context, this is an organization that says, we are going to compel speech out of you, right. or else you're going to suffer consequences. Right. Which is fucking weird. And they uh, had time to think through it, and this is what they came up with. That's that's what's interesting also. like they, It's not like, well, like a hastily decided on thing. Like, they had like i don't know how many days they were giving him so many opportunities for him to just say hey i retweeted this stupid video about yeah so full context here kyrie irving a man who has previously insisted that the earth might be flat and is uh, <laughs> an all-around sort of moron in a lot of ways uh good on the basketball court helped very good LeBron win that crucial title uh, with Cleveland, right? And he hit yep. that big three-pointer. Yes. Very exciting moment in NBA you Finals history. You sound very cool talking about basketball. Thank you. <laughs> um, so good basketball player, uh, bad on geography or, or, uh, or globular understanding of the else. earth. Yeah. 
everything else. He's a. Uh, I, I know it's unfair to say this, but he's a Duke product. I mean, I, he passed through Duke, but uh, I guess he's, he's a take Duke for like months. seven months or something. Let's not put this on. <laughs> Let passed up. through Duke is a is a good name for a podcast. That just sounds like it sounds like you're talking about number two. Yeah, <laughs> passed through Duke. We're talking about Kyrie Irving, right? <laughs> yeah. He tweeted out a link or Instagrammed out or maybe both things, a link to a documentary, so-called, on the Amazon Prime service where I think you just ask Amazon and they'll put like whatever yes. you want up there, yeah. it seems. It's as close We've to— We've been watching some really uh, bad documentaries on Amazon lately. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, and there's no uh, quality control. It's not like uh, HBO or something. There, there no. must be a little bit more quality control than like uh, YouTube. Like, but not yes. a whole lot. Yes. Yeah. Right. Not a whole lot more quality well, it's control like than if YouTube. If you self-publish, you're on Amazon. Yeah. Sure. It's the same with documentaries. Anyway, he tweeted out. It was. It's called H2N, which I think translates to Hebrews. Hebrews to Hebrews. Negroes. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. So that the idea here being that the African Americans, the blacks, are the true Israelites. Yeah. This is. It, among the dumbest things I've come right. across. Have you ever heard of this? Like this, I mean, I've heard of black Israeli, whatever. There's some weird, crazy group, but I never actually looked into it. Uh, there was like some barber years ago. I don't know if you've had this experience, Bob, but I went to a barber back when I had more hair, and uh, these barbers will sometimes veer way off course instead of like, oh, nice day or sports. They'll they'll start talking about some random things and. Th- one well, it's person, because they talk to people all day. Right. So but this people person tell was, them things, and he, then they tell you things. Right. But there's usually, like, the general topics you talk about. But this person, I don't know, maybe they felt uh, some sort of affinity towards me, and he was kind of letting me in on whatever as if, like, I agreed with them. I was just like, yeah, sure. But, I, right. but it sounds as, like as I believe As I believe you said in the past, you don't argue with the guy who's right. got the straight razor in your general head and neck Not area. at that moment. Timing is right. everything, and that's the wrong time. Right. Maybe maybe leave it in the Yelp review about how you don't appreciate <laughs> trying to be convinced that uh, the Jews are interlopers and that the real Israelites are the black people. Leave that in the one-star Yelp review. Not, <laughs> not, not it, well. Yeah, He's got the yeah. razor on your brain. It's just sensible. Anyway, Kyrie tweeted out a link to that movie, a movie about that, that – by the way, like, and I'll put some links in the show notes because it's apparently it's like a three-hour-long fucking movie. So I have not watched it, and I think it's a like a pay-per-view thing. We actually, it's not enough to subscribe to Prime. You actually have to pay for it, I believe. So even if I wanted to watch it, I would have to buy it. And we're not going to do that. There's nobody who's paying us. Uh, like I couldn't expense it to anyone. I could expense it to Lori, I guess, but she'd just get real mad at me. Uh, I mean, whatever. Anyway. Big, long documentary, and it makes a number of what can only be described as anti-Semitic claims, including the sort of fundamental point of it being that the international Jewry, as we know them now, have stolen the identities of the true Israelites, which are black people, and are claiming that the, the mantle of victimhood, and also have exaggerated their claims about the Holocaust, because of course they have. And therefore, black people need to take their identities back. And I will, I will play a clip now here from Kyrie. It's just 40 seconds. Do you have any anti-Semitic beliefs? 
again, I'm going to repeat. I don't know how the label becomes justified because you guys ask me the same questions over and over again. But this is not going to turn into a spin-around cycle of questions upon questions. I told you guys how I felt. I respect all walks of life and embrace all walks of life. That's where I sit. I think what people want to hear though is just a yes or no on that question. Yes or no. I, I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. All right. Uh, I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. Now, I want to, I'm going to do, because we're talking about uh, people with Twitter brain. So I want to first talk about this in terms of the way that I saw it. In my Twitter feed, there's an independent journalist who used to work for a outfit called the Young Turks, uh, which is a, a liberal Oh, that Chad Uger guy and uh, Anna Kasparian? Right. So he had a falling out with those people. His name is Michael Tracy. And a lot of people on the anti-woke Why side Why do you of, so much anti-woke Twitter? It's just, it's just what, I, what I've followed, I guess. I don't know. I don't care for Michael Tracy. And this is a perfect example of why I don't care for Michael Tracy. He, he tweeted, he, he, he quote tweeted the video that I just played for you. And he said, the corporate ownership of the Brooklyn Nets just declared Kyrie Irving unfit to be associated with the team and suspended him. I assumed he must have said something really crazy today. This is what he actually said. Ludicrous moral panic. And then he, he the video is there underneath that. And for Tracy to insist that there's not anything there after what he said, like if... It's a way of saying, like, I'm going to zoom in on this little teeny tiny little bit of information, and it will be 100% true if you're only looking at this right, one right. teeny tiny little pixel of the entire uh, thing that's going on here. Like, yes, if you don't know anything else about the Kyrie Irving situation, and you just hear him say what he said, which is... If I know who I am, then I can't be anti-Semitic, which out of context, like, okay, fine. That's a good denial of anti-Semitism, right? Unless you know what the... Unless you know what he's talking about, right? Which what he's talking about is that if I know who I am, which is a true Israelite, right? right? Which is is one of the actual Jews, then I can't possibly be anti-Semitic because I'm the real Jew. And I'm for me, uh, right. And I'm for me, and all of the other Jews are interlopers. So they're not actual Jews, so I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm anti-those fake Jews. And then for Tracy, who calls himself a journalist, right? He's an independent journalist. He has a substack. He makes big piles of money doing this shit, and he's just lying. Like, it is nothing but a fucking lie. And, like, this is enough. This is one of those things that becomes enough for me to completely write off anything else Michael Tracy ever has to say. Right. Now, I've done this before with him, so this is not new, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop following him. I know that that's, uh, a lot of people's reaction is like, oh, I don't, tr- I, I can no longer trust this person to deliver me truth and facts and, and reality about the world, so I'm going to uh, block them from my Twitter, what have you. That's not what I do. I keep them, like, I, I, Glenn Greenwald continues to show up in my Twitter, despite, in my opinion, <laughs> no longer being a remotely yeah. reliable right. interpreter of the reality of the world around us. And Michael Tracy is one of them. Uh, Tim Poole is another fucking idiot who, like, very 
occasionally makes a good point about how annoying the woke types are, but who also reframes the world and 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 sort of zooms in in this way. Like that, that's the the best way that I can think of it is like somebody taking a pair of binoculars and zooming in and locking on on one very particular thing, right. and. And then showing their followers only that view, and that if you if you take the binoculars away, then the, all of the context comes into focus, right. and the point that you're making is a complete fucking garbage lie. Right. But Michael Tracy, who's got many followers on this fucking platform, retweets this and gets thousands upon thousands of likes and retweets and very minimal criticism and pushback because nobody is remotely interested in discovering the actual truth of the situation and only wants to reinforce the beliefs that they walked up to the table with. Right. And by the way, uh, uh, Kyrie, uh, that is what, like a 40-second clip uh, that you just shared? It was a much longer back and forth. Uh, I don't know why he made himself available to the media because this is basically kind of what caused the suspension because they the organization gave him ample opportunity to walk back this uh, act that he did uh, and he did not until I guess they, they suspended him. Uh, but in the fuller context, he talks about like this ridiculous 300 million. What he kind of does this whataboutism kind of thing. Well, you're talking about this anti Semitism stuff, but what about all this other stuff that happened to black people or whatever? Just random stuff. So the only way this Tracy fellow would post that is that if, if his initial uh, inclination was to. To, to reach a conclusion, a specific conclusion, and then work your way backward, right? So, like, I want – my position is that this is no big deal, this overreaction, this is moral panic by the uh, NBA as a whole and the, and the Nets uh, in particular. So I'm going to find and the a media, clip. And the media on top of it, which is right. another classic of this genre, which is that anything – like, if it's been said in the media, then it cannot be trusted. Right. Which – like it's fine. Like again, like if like it's if if that's your framework and it leads you to these conclusions, then it's arguable that the framework is the fucking problem, and right. that you need some new way of seeing the world. Like it's one thing to be generally skeptical of things; it's another thing to allow an ideological sort of skepticism that anything the media says must be bullshit to lead you down these sorts of roads where you're just completely ignoring abhorrent beliefs. Now, you could believe that Kyrie should be permitted to. Believe whatever the fuck it is he wants to believe. That whatever whatever he puts on Instagram doesn't fucking matter to whether or not he can uh, dribble the basketball and put and and put up buckets for the Brooklyn Nets. That's an argument. Right. I would much rather listen to that than to suggest to a quarter million people of my followers on Twitter that this there's there's fucking nothing to see here. Right. That it's just a moral panic. Right. And and part of it is a there's a part of this problem goes back to this failure to disavow nonsense that the Nets put out in the first place because it lets the moron off the hook in the first place because it's immediately seized upon by people like me right, right. so I see that headline in ESPN that says failure to disavow anti-Semitism I'm automatically primed to be like oh well, that's right. fucked up right like I don't think like it, and and but only by virtue of the fact that I'm willing for some sick reason to invest. 30 minutes of my day that morning and figuring out what the fuck is going on that I'm able to escape that sort of automatic framework reaction that I had. Right. But because so much of what we ingest is provided by people that we have pre-selected to tell us the stories that we prefer to hear, it makes it that much harder to get to the truth of any given situation right. because that's not what we're biasing for. Instead, we're biasing for the preferred framework. Right. The The disavow part that kind of stuck out to me too because uh i don't think i've ever heard any sort of punishment levied 
in this phrasing, right? You always uh, hear about and read about conduct detrimental to or whatever, personal conduct policy violating that. There's always like some general like language. Corporate, it, it sounds like corporate bullshit speak, but like if a guy is out there saying all of the time, like I'm a real Jew right. and the the, uh, the actual Jews in the world are not real Jews, like that is conduct detri detrimental to right. the organization. Right. Like that's very bad. And, yeah, that and one also of it's very uh, disruptive to the organization. It's like now they're answering for your stuff. I mean, he's so like careless with his comments. Like he follows up by saying like, oh, I didn't even watch it. Like I... I just do stuff like, you know, just kind of like not apologize for it, saying I didn't actually watch it. I'm just sharing it right. for some reason. Just a lot of nonsensical parts. But yeah, so like what is a team to do if they made the point that th th this conduct is detrimental to our organization? That's one thing. But failure to disavow and then follow that with it's a five game suspension at least. But they've now placed conditions on him to return. Basically, it's almost setting it up to where. They're, they're gonna. I don't know. This sounds like a legal maneuver to get rid of him because there's like five or six things he must do, like apologize, which I think he kind of did. Maybe it's not good enough to the team, but also like pay some money, do some sort of uh, me, you know meet and greet with like a local Jewish group. Like there's a lot of these other conditions. Okay. But yeah. do the other people on the team have to do the? Do they have to disavow no. anti-Semitism? Yeah. Why not? Because they didn't retweet once. I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're, this I mean, is not I impacting feel like anybody else. If, I feel like this is still stupid. Right. Either it's a rule or it's not. Right. right. And it seems like a weird rule, but they should right. at least be consistent and right. make everybody disavow anti-Semitism. If you stick your head up and say things that make you sound like a Nazi, they're going to ask you to say that you're actually not a Nazi. Right. And if you don't stick your head up and say things that make it sound like you're a Nazi, you won't be asked to disavow Nazism, right? right? I think it's as simple as that. It doesn't mean that, like, like again, like, it, yeah, it sounds like a weird fucking speech code, the way that it's framed by the organization. Yeah. And I, and I, I seriously, like, I'm not sure that it matters that Kyrie Irving thinks very stupid things when it comes to his ability to play basketball, right? right? Like, if, if the organization wants him out there playing basketball, it shouldn't matter what he puts on his stupid Instagram, and it's a dumb world that we live in that it does. But the fact of the matter is that it does right now. So, so it's like, but it's all, that's you always going to be, deal with it. Right, but that's always going to be true. I mean, if somebody, if a player on a team or some, like, high-priced lawyer in your firm was saying objectionable, but like, you know, legally free speechy, whatever stuff, like people can say, hey, what the yeah. fuck? This guy is under your employee? Like this, you, yeah. get, you allow well, this? Well, especially in the, you know, public figures, role model types. Like I get a team or what is it? League wanting their, wanting to have some conduct right. code, but like be consistent. Yeah, I, if you're if, gonna be vague and say failure to disavow anti-Semitism, then you have to make the whole team do it. Yeah, but with a little bit of context, you realize what I said, which is that he was being wildly anti-Semitic. Yeah, and so he did himself, and he did not then. sufficiently disavow his prior association with his film. Right. Anyway, in keeping with this. Uh, allowing sort of your wish casting about the world to drive the way that you see things. Uh, let's talk about the midterms. Chris Christie was on, as he usually is, on the ABC Sunday morning program. This week? And, yeah, this week. He made a prediction about the Senate race in Colorado. We're going to make some predictions here coming up as well. Uh, but Chris Christie said on 
this week on Sunday that he thinks that the Republican is going to win in Colorado. Now, according to 538. Yeah, not a very competitive race from what I remember. Maybe that's changed. Pull it up now. According to 538, uh, Michael Bennett is going to defeat Joe O'Day uh, 92% of the time. If they ran this, if they ran this election 40,000 times, he would win it 92% of the time. They expect that he's going to garner something like 52.5% of the popular vote to O'Day's 44.5%. I did not watch the episode. Was there a particular reason why the former governor was focused on Colorado? Because like, from all the coverage and all the polling over the past few months, Colorado Senate not expected to be competitive like Nevada and Arizona and Georgia and Pennsylvania. Not right? a so. single one of the polls that 538 tracks for this, which is basically all of them. It's like an aggregate of polls, right? Yeah. Right. Has O'Day winning. Uh, right. Bennett, Bennett is up somewhere between 2 and 14 or even 18 in some of these polls. Uh, obviously, it's not going to be 18 points, but it there's no reason to think that O'Day can win. What Christie was getting at, and, and, and the way that he framed it, was that the other upset and surprise you're going to see, I think, on Tuesday night is Joe O'Day, the Republican candidate for the United States Senate in Colorado, is going to beat Michael Bennett. And that's going to be a huge surprise. It's going to be a candidate who does not have the support of Donald Trump. He does not have the support of Donald Trump. He flat out said that he believes that Joe Biden was the legitimately elected president of the United States and, and had Trump attack him. And in Colorado, he is driving Michael Bennett to distraction, he's going to win the race. This O'Day character has rejected Trumpism. He's, in fact, been attacked by Donald Trump because he said that uh, Barack, not Barack, uh, Joe Biden was the legitimate winner of the 2020 presidential election, and and therefore he is completely unpalatable to the MAGA wing of the Republican Party. And Christie seems to think that, that is, <laughs> that's the formula for success in Colorado, when the main issues of the day are inflation and taxes and jobs and the economy and the border and all of that, that that in, in Chris Christie's head, the way that he understands the electorate, if if you can just eliminate the idea that, you know, 40% of Republicans are certifiably insane, according to uh, most pollings, like if he can write all of them off and then get enough, like, you know, smart, level-headed Democrats to just see this as a battle of ideas between Joe O'Day and, and Michael Bennett, then then this is the, then we're going to shock the world here in Colorado and somebody who's only got a one in 10 chance of winning is actually going to win the seat. So in uh, Christie's imagination, like the governor's race in Georgia wouldn't be a better example of that because, I mean, Kemp did come under fire. He repelled uh, a primary challenge from the right, and then now he's on track to, to win comfortably in the general, like, or I'm it, sure Kemp it, is another example, but Kemp is an easy win, and right. so that doesn't make her very good I mean, good that's an easy win, but, but then you'll at least you'll be making the point clearly because if someone's watching this program, you know, someone like Bob, uh, and you're like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" By all accounts, this is not going to happen, right? So you're trying to make right. a point, and you're trying to point to Colorado as example of that point, and then on Wednesday morning, we'll find out. Oh, comfortable win by what's his face, Bennett. Right. It only makes sense with the way that he wants the world to be, right. not the way that the world actually is. Right. He's he's taking his framework and just making wishes with it. And it's not 
It's not going to work out for him. Bennett is going to win. And in fact, I haven't even included Colorado in my list of 10 things to watch uh, tomorrow night. I mean, with good if, reason, though. It wouldn't be in a top 10 kind of thing. Right. He's going to get his ass kicked. And it won't, it, it'll be one that they're able to call fairly early. In a general sort of way, I do want to say, uh, in terms of the rank punditry of the moment, and Pesca did this uh, tonight as well, and he said a lot of the things that I wanted to say, so I'm not going to make a big thing of it. But this is actually very easy, and I, it's not complicated, and I think too much talking about it and thinking about it actually sort of misses the point. And the the point is that if you watch as we were talking about last week with watching the Sunday or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, watching the Sunday shows mm-hmm. and the Republicans just seem like they're operating in normal reality. And it's the Democrats who sound like fucking crazy people who are having to shovel all sorts of crazy shit all over everything to make their points right. or who, when asked simple questions, start talking about something else entirely. Right. <laughs> like this is, it's obvious to me. And it's been obvious the last couple of weeks watching these the talking heads on the Sunday shows that this just comes down to if if the average American idiot is sitting there watching these people talk, one of them is spewing obvious bullshit. And I'm not talking I'm not talking about the election stuff. Right. So you, unfortunately, you have to kind of ignore the the absurd lies that they're telling about all of the election stuff, right. uh, because if you know, we're talking about bullshit like whose bullshit detector is working better. Uh, obviously, it's the, on, on the election stuff, it's going to be the Democrats. But on, on everything else, the from the economy to even some of the abortion stuff, one of these groups of people is shoveling lots of bullshit, and the other one seems to be operating in reality. And unfortunately, it's the Republicans who seem to be operating more in reality as the Democrats shovel more and more bullshit. And that's that's going to translate to a healthy win for the Democrats as, as predicted for by me and our Republicans, our, you mean? Sorry, sorry. Yes. Yeah. For the Republicans as, as predicted by me at the start of the year, that this would be uh, something approaching a wave. Now, unfortunately it won't be a, a, a true wave in the way that we might normally think of these things. Cause you, you maybe we're just in a situation where you don't see those as often, but if you combine the results of tomorrow night, with what we saw in 2020, which is that, yes, Joe Biden won in 2020, but I think the Democrats gave back, was it 13 or 14 yeah. seats to the Republicans? They lost ground, yeah. On, right. They lost They lost a dozen or more seats. Uh, you combine that with the 20, 25 seats maybe that, they're, that are going to they're going to lose then that then you start approaching the the sort of a wave that you would see in a normal cycle okay uh on this point of the the wave this red wave i keep on seeing this everywhere and i'm confused and maybe they're doing this calculation you're doing let's combine two elections to get there what is like a like a clear-cut wave above 30 you know 30 and above because i was looking at the past 30 years like in 94 the GOP picked up what, 54 seats. 2006, the Dems pick up 32. 2010, now that's like a wave we're not going to see again. It was like 64, it says here, right. pick up by the GOP. And then in 2018 uh, is Trump's you know, uh, presidency, and this was the first opportunity for there to be a vote. And it was this weird, very slow blue wave right because it was like one in a lot of districts but barely there were a lot of like one or two right. point victories and that's why 
they lost some of that to ground. To answer your question, it's just it's just any time the gavel switches hands, right. I think is, because it it will be a wave. And right. That's the that's the bottom line. Because you know there's these many different. Well, there's only two possibilities. Basically, like a close Republican win or a landslide win. These are the the two most likely scenarios, right? Basically, are the polls accurate? And I'm, I've I've read some hedging by some of these pollsters. Like I don't know what the hell is going to happen, but the two most likely outcomes, like a Democrat wave, is off the table, right? So then you either have the Dems holding on, which is a very, very rare possibility at this point, right? So the two most right. likely scenarios is Republicans take over both, but, you know, the margins are 51-49 in the Senate, and then there are 15-20 seats in, in the House. Uh, but I think that would be treated as a wave, even though, like, it's basically, the, it was already razor-thin margins, and they just went over a little bit. And then you can easily see in 24 going back the other way, right? So, yeah. But it will be yeah, covered, I, I think, I, as a wave, even though it's not really a wave. I, I agree. The, the wave terminology is annoying and silly, and we're not going to see these 60-70 seat swings. Uh, but, you know, the House didn't change. The House was in Democratic hands for how many years when Newt Gingrich took over in 94? Oh, like 40 years. Yeah, basically it was like a, uh, you know, for a while they were thinking that the, the House was just going to be permanent. Right. We would, we would never have a Republican House right. again, is right. what the thinking was in and the then, 80s. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, 94 was a big one. 2010 was a big one. And so, basically, I mean, the Bush first term was kind of uh, an outlier because of the 9 uh, 11 attacks, right? Because it was like a year right. later. But, like, in right. so we're, we're in agreement, correct, that the Democrats are going to take control of the House, right? There's no, you don't see any scenario where Republican, they keep the House. Correct. Democrats. Republicans are, are, yeah. You're, you're doing this. Poorly. Thank you. Uh, Republicans <laughs> are going to take control of the House. You agree with that, correct? Yeah, that's basically like that's a done deal. Right. Uh, and then does the does the number matter or does it not matter? I'm open. I to think saying. probably like so. In that, now, I hope I always hope the the polls are about right. So I don't want there to be any. I mean, worst case scenario would be like for the polls credibility is if they. They overcounted or they overcorrected the sampling, and they waited too much towards the Republicans. And the Democrats have a surprise night. That would be worst case scenario for uh, the pollsters. But yeah, I'm thinking 50 to 20 seats gain by the Republicans. All right. Well, I've pulled a few. Uh, I've pulled 10 items here, including some House races, some Senate races, some governor races, and the abortion ballot questions. And I want to get your quick take. Because in my opinion, the two most important, arguably, the, the ones that I'll be watching tomorrow night are, are both in Virginia. And maybe that, that is, of course, some, something of a function of the fact that that's what I'm closest to. Right. But in Virginia's 7th, we have Abigail Spanberger versus Yesley Vega, uh, who's had nasty fights on the, in the, on the commercials back and forth. And right now, 538 has uh, Spanberger with a 72% chance of keeping her seat and therefore uh, it, it staying as a Democrat seat and Vega with 28% chance, the margin 51 to 48. Uh, that is one that I will be watching closely. If that goes to the Republicans, especially if it gets called relatively early like in the night. Like a bellwether kind of thing? You think it's going to be... If that's, it, that's where we get into the territory where you could be looking at a whole lot of weird shit happening. And I think that a couple of races in New York are also that way, including especially the governor's race. Like if there's if there's any question about if if that governor's race is close, it's big trouble. So, but but it's, specifically, I mean, okay, it, it, this 
not, not to jump uh, on anything, it did not sound like what happened in California where, oh, the recall could be whatever, and then it, nothing came to fruition. Like, are, are people really concerned about New York, the governor's race? I don't know, but it's going to be a big swing, right? Because So Biden and Cuomo won by giant margins right. Uh, right. When, they, when they won, and it's going to swing something like 10 to 15 points closer than it was last time. Now, in part, that's a function of the fact that Kathy Hochul is not as sort of grossly charming a person as uh, as Cuomo <laughs> is, I suppose. Right. Uh, and also they but, were voted for him before all of the stuff came to light, right? Sure. But the point is that that's going to be closer than the Democrats would like it to be. And this the situation in uh, Spanberger's district, which went for Biden by, I believe, seven points. I'm doing this off the top of my head, so forgive me if I get it wrong. But I think that the, that district went Biden seven and then went plus five to our Republican governor, right? So it swung okay. from a plus seven Biden to a plus five Yunkin district in just one year, which is right. which is pretty significant, right? And so now what we're looking at is – is that enough of a backlash to Democrat control, or will they be willing to kick Abby Spanberger, who's an extremely centrist Democrat, as centrist as Democrats get, basically? Will she be able to keep her seat? And I want you to make the call, Abe. You got Spanberger or Vega. Anytime, uh, I don't know if this is true of the other races, anytime I see somebody uh, where they're polling above 50%, I always think it's kind of hard to get that wrong. So Spanberger is what I'm going for. This should right. be pretty I'm, straightforward. I'm also going to call it for Spanberger, and we're going to keep track of this. And unlike the 2020 election forecast game, we will have a winner uh, for this one. All right, going to Virginia's second, which is interesting in large part because it is currently held by a Democrat named Elaine Loria, who, if you've paid any attention to the proceedings in the House, the January 6th commission in the House, she has been one of the Democrats uh, running the show there and been very good at it, in my opinion. She is in a race with Jen Kiggins, and they have that as a dead heat. 538 is calling it wow. basically a toss-up. I believe this one, the in addition to the Virginia 7th, some redistricting you can expect to hurt the Democrats in both of these, that it was drawn to be more competitive than it was the last time around, both Virginia 7th. Was it redrawn so much that uh, the 2020 outcome isn't a good comp? Like, did, No, did so it's not, it's not been dramatically redrawn in okay. any serious way, but it has been redrawn slightly to make it more competitive than it would and have I been take it in the past. N- neither candidate is above the 50% in these uh, average polls. They're in the 40, the high 40s. They've got the Republican challenger at 50.2 and 49.8 for oh. Loria. Yeah, Loria's losing. All right, so you've got The uh, candidate that has 50-plus percent, I'm telling you, those people don't lose. All right, I also like 47, have— 47, 46 or something, then who knows? I also have Kiggins uh, defeating Loria, so I think there's going to be a split. I think Spanberger hangs on, but Loria goes out. All right, to uh, New York 17th which is worth looking at because it is uh, Sean Patrick Maloney's district. He's the guy who's in charge of all the money for the Democrats and uh, and and their spending money for these campaigns. He's very annoying. You've probably seen him on the Sunday talk shows a couple times in the last couple of months. If you watch those things, he's yeah. uh, up against someone named Michael Lawler. Uh, 538 has Maloney winning 70% of the time in their model and with 51.6%. Oh. 
What do you think happens there? The the fifty percent plus guy is going to win. All right, so Abe's got Maloney. I'm going to say that Sean Patrick Maloney is extremely annoying, and I'm going to hope that he loses, <laughs> and therefore I'm I'm calling it for Lawler. I did not know the standard. Yeah, that, well, you're just going with some bullshit 50% threshold. Why do you have that's about. R's and D's next to these people's names? Because I know I don't need the R's and D's. I know who they are. I don't. I mean, I know the next one. Ugh. All right, uh, moving on to Maine's second district, which is uh, Jared Forrest Golden against Bruce Poliquin. Now, if you're super familiar with Maine politics for some reason, you'll recognize that Jared Golden is the Democrat incumbent. But that name, Bruce Poliquin, might stick out to you as a name that you've heard before because he used to hold this seat. Uh, he's, uh, he's challenging for it again. Neither one of these candidates, Abe, is polling above 50%, so you can't use that as your standard. We've got 49.8% for the Democrat, 46.7% is the estimated popular vote for the Republican. Who do you think gets the seat there in Maine second? When neither candidate has above 50% in these uh, polls, go with the momentum, and the Republicans have the momentum, I'm going with that guy. All right, I'm also going with the Republican to take that spot as well. It's also like the most New Englandy last name I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't know how to say that. I'm just guessing it at Polyquin. P-O-L-I-Q-U-I-N. All right, the Georgia Senate. We're getting into the Senate now. We've got uh, Walker versus Warnock. I uh, will give you the current forecast from 538. It says that Herschel is favored to win 63 times out of 100. And Warnock just 37 out of 100. The polling average has got it, I'm afraid, below the 50% threshold. Again, Abe, 49.9 for Herschel, 48.7 for Raphael Warnock. Who you got? This has all the makings of a runoff. I think I said this was a lock a long time ago, uh, <laughs> and it's shaky now. I'm gonna. You stick said with a lock, lock for Warnock, by the way, correct? Yeah, yeah. I said a, 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 He said uh, the Colts were gonna for... win the Super Bowl the same right. day. I think. I'm gonna stick with Warnock. You're sticking with Warnock, all right? But I think it will be a. And I think neither neither will get above fifty. All right, so Warnock in a runoff, and I'm going to call it for Herschel outright. Oh, you think he's gonna clear? Tomorrow night. I think he clears 50%. I think that the, because, and I don't have listed here in our uh, things to call is the Georgia governor's race, and that's because uh, Stacey Abrams is going to get her ass kicked, and Brian Kemp is going to be the governor again. And I think that that he will, Herschel's going to ride those coattails in a weird way where it's, it's both coattail riding and also ticket splitting at the same time. Right. Because it's you've got you've got Kemp, who's an anti-Trump Republican who doesn't have who's done no favors for any of the MAGA types in Georgia beyond like at least since 2020. Right. That doesn't mean that he wasn't that way before. But since 2020, he's not been your your typical MAGA Republican. And certainly Trump uh, doesn't care for the guy. So in a weird way, it's the Republicans splitting their ticket between uh, MAGA and anti-MAGA alike rather than between uh, a Republican and a Democrat. And I think that that weird combination of things in Georgia uh, is going to bring Herschel to the goddamn Senate, and it's very bad. The the only uh, thing with because uh, yeah, I think I, I think uh, Kemp is going to win comfortably, but with uh, Walker, just a lot of the ads, a lot of the impressions people have in Georgia is that he's kind of like 
just going to be a very negative connotation to him to throughout his uh, Senate term. So I'm thinking there's going to be some splitting where people will vote for Kemp but won't vote for Walker. That's why I'm thinking he's going to stay under 50% and go in the runoff. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. Arizona Senate, Mark Kelly versus Blake Masters. This is oh, one this that is easy. I assume that you're going to go with. Kelly's uh, not going to lose this one. Yeah, Kelly's winning this. Yeah, I think so too, uh, despite the sort of late turn in the last couple of weeks, uh, Masters trying to reimagine himself as a much more reasonable human being. It, it did not work. Uh, Arizona governor, on the other hand, is a race between the crazy Carrie Lake and the very sort of small Katie Hobbs, is how I, <laughs> I would describe her. Not in physical stature, but just in uh, general presentation. Uh, there's some late breaking stuff here this week on the Drudge Report about how Carrie Lake has always been a liberal and that this whole fucking thing that she's done for the last year is a fraudulent act. Uh, no, it, won't, uh, it won't matter. No, yeah, no obstacle, though. I mean, a, a lot of people were that in the past. What's, uh, is uh, either of these uh, candidates, are they above the 50% or are they? They've got Carrie Lake at 51.1% yeah. and 48.9 for Katie Hobbs. Yeah, Lake Lake's gonna win this. Yeah, I think Lake is going to win as well. All right, Pennsylvania Senate, Mehmet Oz versus John Fetterman. Oz has sort of surged here. Well, he surged like a month ago, and then he's sort of held on to that lead for the last little bit. Neither candidate, however, is polling above that fifty percent threshold that you're looking for. So, who you got in this one? Fetterman. Fetterman. All right, I've got Oz. We're on opposite sides of this. And for what it's worth, not that it matters, but Mastriano will not be the next governor of Pennsylvania, and that's a yeah. good thing. Yeah. Also, as distasteful as I find Mehmet Oz and also everything that he represents, I'm not sure that John Fetterman belongs in the Senate strictly from a uh, uh, sort from of— From an ableist standpoint? From a from yes, health? A health and, and safety standpoint, he— doesn't appear to be in full control of his faculties, and I think that matters. What's her name out in California, notwithstanding? I, I wonder how many voters are out there deciding it on that. They're just thinking, "I'm going to vote for for, for, oh, for who has control." None of right. them. None of them right. fucking care. Tommy Tuberville right. and 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 Herschel <laughs> Walker are going to be in the Senate yeah. together. Right. They don't fucking care who's qualified and not. All right, Nevada, Nevada, dead heat, complete toss up. Neither one is polling even at 49%. We got 48.8% and 48.6%. The two candidates are the Republican Adam Paul Laxalt and the Democratic incumbent Catherine Cortez Masto. Coin flip, very much a momentum call kind of race, in my opinion. I've got uh, Cortez Masto losing to the Republican Laxalt. Who you got, Abe? Same. I, I think this is going to be a pickup for the Republicans. All right, and then finally, we've got the abortion ballot measures in five states. According to Ballotopedia, actually six states, we've got Kansas would amend the Kansas Constitution to state that— Oh, no, sorry, that one's already gone down. That happened in August. Yeah. Forgive yeah. me. California has a proposition to amend the California Constitution that basically makes them an amnesty state for abortions. Kentucky wants to amend the Kentucky Constitution to state that nothing in the state constitution creates a right to abortion or requires government funding of abortions. So they're going the other uh, yeah. way with the presentation there, right? So they're, they're approaching it from a negative standpoint. Michigan is trying to overturn a century-old law that uh, outlaws abortion along with a whole bunch of other things. 
uh, and they're, they're going to amend their constitution to provide a state constitutional right to reproductive freedom defined to include abortion, contraception, and other matters related to pregnancy. And then Montana wants to provide in-state law that infants born alive at any stage of development are legal persons and require medical care to be provided to infants born alive after an induced labor, cesarean section, attempted abortion, or other method. And then finally, Vermont will amend the Vermont Constitution to provide a state constitutional right to personal reproductive autonomy. So Vermont and Michigan and California trying to enshrine constitutional right to abortion in their constitutions while Kentucky and Montana are attempting to do the opposite. I bring this up not because I want to make specific calls about those ballot measures, although I think we can probably guess what's going to happen in all five of them, but to point out that these are five states with basically no other interesting races on the ballot in terms of what may or may not make a difference in terms of the House and the Senate, right? Right, right. And my whole contention at the start of this, going back to the Kansas thing, was that the more places that you can get the abortion question directly on the ballot and put it before the people, the more it's going to matter to the everyday asshole voter in your state. Now, what we're, what that basically means to me is that there are 45 states where abortion will put play essentially no role in whether or not you're going to get your ass off of your couch and go vote one way or another. And uh, in California, and like I can see it motivating enough in Michigan to matter. I think that, that, that Whitmer, the Governor Whitmer, is going to benefit greatly from the fact that this is on the ballot, right. and she Although will have... She's she, comfortably she, in the lead, though, right? She's, she's not, she is comfortably in the lead. Anyway, I think that this helps to the extent that it that it matters at all. I think what I'm basically trying to point out here is that the Democrats did a very bad job of turning this into a hyper-local issue by making sure that it was on the ballot in places where higher voter turnout could actually help Democrats. Now, some of the states, you know, you said uh, there were five uh, states where there was going to be three, four uh, expansion of the rights uh, or co codifying the rights, uh, and then two, I guess, to, to further restrict. Uh, a lot of states, it's a settled issue already, right? There's already in, in the Constitution, the state Constitution, there's like a right to privacy or what have you. And it's, it's not entirely up to the Democrats, right? It's not like in Georgia – Democrats could have done something to put it on the ballot, right? They don't have much control here, so I wonder if. I mean, I don't know the I don't know the ballot measure process right. in Georgia. I imagine that I mean it, there are states where it, it, you don't even have to have control of the state legislature to get stuff on the ballot, right? I mean, right. there. I don't know the process, but I, I think that the Republicans in Georgia were certainly smart not to put anything additional on the ballot this time right. around, right? Like, there's no getting yeah. around that fact, right? right. Um, anyway, like I said, I only bring it up to point out that uh, abortion as an issue in this election is largely a complete non-starter. And for all of the understandable upset about this overturning of Roe v. Wade over the summer, the idea that somehow this was going to turn a red wave back and allow the Democrats to maintain control, the lie will be put to that uh, tomorrow night, I think. Aren't you, aren't you surprised at how many things uh, this midterm is not about? I mean, the January 6th stuff, it, it's not playing at all, right? Like all of the hearings that came about, all the new details that have uh, uh, 
been revealed. Like none of that really plays. Uh, the abortion issue was big when it first leaked. What was it like May? And then when it was actually uh, officially uh, announced, like in June, it was a big thing. But the election was in November, and so now what is the big issue? Like, uh, what is it? Inflation is still the predominant issue. I mean, the gas prices have come down. I don't hear too much about that. That baby formula thing. I don't know what's going on there. But it seems like there's only just a couple of pressing issues, and it seems to be what's happening right now. Like, what's the general mood? Because, like, two months ago, the polls were showing a swing in the either direction, and then over the last month or so, it has shifted back. Right. Well, as as I said, it's actually a very simple story, and the Republicans are able to tell a very simple story, and it's it doesn't have to be true. It just has to be understandable, right? Which is that the Republicans said if you spend all of this COVID, you pass all of this COVID money, and you you spend this infrastructure money, you're going to create inflation, and it's going to be bad for Americans. And then that's what fucking happened. They don't have to. Well, the, they don't have to those, make yeah. anything up. They don't. Yeah. And yeah, is it a bigger, more complicated story than that? Right. Of course it is. It doesn't fucking matter. The right. Republicans said, this is what's going to happen, and then that's what happened, and we weren't in charge, and so you should make us in charge because these assholes don't know what they're doing. It's a very simple story, right. and the R Democrats are going to pay the price for it. And, and also, sometimes they're just at the mercy of what happens in the world. I mean, weren't there a lot of people uh, predicting that Trump, had there not been a pandemic or just a regular 2020 year, he would have— one, but because it happened and then he kind of showed his ass, uh, he lost, right? So, like, if something happens on your watch, even if you didn't cause it or whatever, or if there's some other reason, uh, it's still going to be on you. And traditionally, midterms swing the other way. So, everything's pointing to that direction. So, there shouldn't be right. too big of a surprise. I do wonder is there some sort of victory that Dems will declare if it becomes like they lose, but just like, you know, 10 seats, so it does flip in the House, and then like it's like 51-49, they lose one, one seat in the Senate. They're like, ah, what wave? Or, I mean, they basically would lose both chambers, and so it's still a defeat. But do you think they're going to try to I mean, dress they, it up? They'll spin it however they want to fucking spin it, but right. the fact of the matter is we're, we're in for a very unpleasant at least next, I mean, obviously, with the presidential election now. It's true regardless. Officially around the corner with the end of this election cycle. I mean, the, it appears to be the case that Marjorie Taylor Greene has Kevin McCarthy by the short hairs. Right. He's going to be getting some plum assignment, right, the, on the other side right, of this? She raises money better than anybody else in the party besides Trump. Like, he has absolutely no choice but to stick her on whatever committee she wants to be on. And that's, like, dramatically bad for everyone because now we're going to be enduring Marjorie Taylor Greene as a prominent fixture of uh, of the political power center of the Republican Party rather than just the cultural power center. And it's not, it's not great. Yeah, there'll be a lot of stunts in 23. Yeah. One last thing on the politics of it all, I, I guess because our phones haven't been blowing up in the last couple of hours that Trump did not announce tonight that no. he would be running again in 2024, but he's going to announce at some point in the next month or so that he's running in 2024. 
does it matter and does his coining of his his new Ron de Sanctimonious, which is way too much of a mouthful, uh, Donald, I'm sorry, it's not a great nickname. Take it he's back. He's also not very sanctimonious. Right. And also... Uh, he very much is, is he? san- he's okay. sanctimonious as shit. Not fun also, to talk he's not, about right He's now. not wrong. Uh, right. But, but what's the batting average for good, like, Nick? He, he's had, like, two good ones and the rest have been terrible. So this is more in keeping. Yeah, they're with that. all bad. It's true, but this one is like this one is way like sanctimonious is way too much of a, a five dollar word for uh, the usual Trump Trump crowd. Like we got Lion Ted, easy. Like it's a bad yeah. nickname, but everybody knows what you're talking about. Low energy, Jed. low energy, sleepy Jeb or whatever he called him. Pocahontas. Uh, Pocahontas. Pocahontas. Yeah. Right. All of those, they read, you know exactly what they're talking about. Ron de Sanctimonious is like, it's too clever by probably Trump standards Probably because he didn't come work. up with it. He probably, yeah. So on the uh, Trump uh, announcement, like this would basically undercut everybody else. Right? Do you think that all other candidates on the right, uh, like a DeSantis and uh, the, my dark horse, uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, are they going to just raise money just quietly? Like, I, I mean, I think Mike Pence will just go about you know, preparing for a 24 run anyways, right? But, like, the people that are in Trump's lane, the the populist, like, MAGA, you know, that sort of thing, like, if he announces Thanksgiving, Christmas, early next year when uh, the there's a switch of party control, what does a DeSantis do, right? Does he pretend he's not running until something happens I don't know. to Trump? So DeSantis is still young enough to hold off until 28, presumably. Yeah. And you would think that he could challenge whoever Trump's running mate, like a Carrie Lake or a, or a, God forbid, a Marjorie Taylor Greene, and not be too concerned about like the coattails of the vice presidency or whatever. But I think wait, that DeSantis. Are you saying DeSantis would challenge Trump in twenty four? Just wait, just sit it out this cycle. Talk no, up, I'm saying like, that, in, that there's an argument to be made that he could wait until twenty eight and be just fine. That it won't yeah. be too late for him because he'll right. have. He'll have done the last four years as governor of Florida. Right. Like he's going to win, running away tomorrow against his Charlie Crist challenge in Florida, and then yeah, he would have to announce no later than presumably next summer whether or not he was also going to run for president in twenty four. It's going to be awkward if uh, you know if if Trump basically gets all of his underlings not to run. Like he basically. Ted Cruz and the uh, DeSantis, they just say, okay, fuck it, we're going to set this out. But, like, I can imagine a Mike Pence just running, pretending Trump isn't running. Just like, you know, I just kind of just get a little... Right, well, I mean, anybody who runs is simply hoping that he drops dead or that, like, otherwise goes to jail, right? Like, right. there's no, no... None of them can beat him except, in my opinion, I think DeSantis can. I don't know that he will bother trying. But he would... But- in in doing like trying to do so, like he would have to take him on directly, which would kind of run counter to his whole thing, right? He's just kind of riding the the, the wave of a. No, you uh, could just a, say a he's Trump. old. Yeah, and I guess you could just focus good. on that. But basically, you say he's old, and you focus on the incompetence of the administration, which like nobody can deny the overwhelming incompetence of the administration. Now, was the incompetence sort of the point in a lot of ways? Yeah, right. probably. But but what would happen uh, if you if he does that? Then somebody on the left will say, "See, even DeSantis sees what a disaster Trump was." But that's how the, the primaries always are. It's right. the stupid party arguing within itself. Right. It's 
It's the worst part. Yeah. And also, he lost to Joe Biden last time. Whether you whether like whether it was stolen or not doesn't matter, right? He wasn't strong enough to overcome a steal the if steal- that's oh, what happened. And I and I'm going to win. And like that guy's a loser. Like I so, and I'm not that I want to go to work for the DeSantis campaign, but like the the path I, is I there. I mean, would they give you health the insurance? Pa- I, I I think there's not a lot of upside to taking on if you're a DeSantis to take on Trump directly cuz he would likely lose that because he's already got the momentum, Trump, and uh, I thought we're on the same page. You, you're on their side now. You're not one of us, blah, blah, blah. We need to be on the same page. I think he'd probably just sit it up if Trump were to run. Maybe. And and maybe it's just wish casting on my part, but I, I think the only way that Joe Biden can run again is if it is against Donald Trump. And in any other scenario, there would be much greater pressure on the sitting president to abdicate and either choose someone or heavily lean or, or allow the Democratic Party to heavily lean on someone. Like You don't want to get into a situation where you have a fully open primary with fucking 25 Democrats right. trying to become the, the successor to Biden. But you also don't want to be in a situation where Joe Biden is up against fucking Ted Cruz or, or Ron DeSantis or something like that. He's going to get his ass kicked. I mean, DeSantis, yes, but not Ted Cruz. Uh, one last thing no, here. It's time no. for our bogus future. Just take a minute. It's a it's a good segment. Don't know why you are raising your hand in objection. Because it's time to go to bed. Palmer Lucky, Abe. This is a that's a name, and he invented the Oculus, the the VR headset that oh, sold yeah, yeah. to Facebook for a couple of billion dollars a few years ago, which has given us. Our glorious future. I always talk about our bogus it's future. It's just that you talk too much. But of course, our, our, our the the coming metaverse is our true glorious future. When we will we will all be uh, stuck in a 1980s music video by the Dire Straits, and apparently that's what we want. Uh, anyway, this guy, this Palmer Lucky, uh, still working in the VR space, has invented a VR headset that kills the user if they die in the game that they're playing. What? Yeah. So there's a, it's a VR headset that you wear. Who would play this game? On the Well, do you want a fully, truly immersive experience? No, Abe? I'm playing a game. That's why I'm playing the it's game. It's a cool way to kill yourself. That'd be fun. Not to die. I think that's he's, how, one of uh, these, he's one of these guys who uh, creates something because he knows that it can be created. And if it can be created, then somebody's going to do it. So why not him, I think, right. is sort of what he's thinking. Uh, but yeah, it has the uh, three explosive charges built into <laughs> the headset itself so that if you die, it explodes and destroys your brain. I would sooner play Russian roulette than that. No, right. that would be way more fun than Russian roulette. I would be nervous. I would not be having fun. At least I would be drunk with Russian roulette. I don't think anybody sober plays. You Russian can roulette. be drunk and do this. Lucky no. wrote that he wants to keep tinkering. <laughs> I, I, I have I have plans for an anti-tamper mechanism that, like the nerve gear, will make it impossible to remove or destroy the helmet. He said. <laughs> Even so, there are a huge variety of failures that could occur and kill the user at the wrong time. Oh, see, that's this, the that's the risk. This is why I have not worked up the balls to actually use it myself. Despite betting big on defense contracts, a piece of Lucky will always belong to virtual reality. At this point, it's just a piece of office art, a thought-provoking reminder of unexplored avenues in game design, he said of his killer headset. It is also, as far as I know, the first non-fiction example of a VR device that can actually kill the user. 
it won't be the last. Uh, and if that's not a prime example of what we have in store for us with our bogus future, I don't know what is. Like I always say, the future is going to be great. All of these people are poo-pooing the future. It's going to be great. Look how great it is now already. It'll be greater. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Abe says the future is only getting brighter as we head into the 2022 midterm elections, (laughs) which will see the rising to power of Herschel Walker and Mehmet Oz. That's not what he means by the future. That's just the same shit. He's talking about video games that can actually kill you. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com or castironbrains.com for a show note. Uh, the opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. You can find his stuff at tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. Abe, did you make it to the movies this week? No, actually, it's pretty uh, quiet on the movie front. I went to go, uh, I mean, I watched, I caught up on the White Lotus, this new season. Yeah, us uh, too. And the How many times, Abe, did you watch the latest preview for Avatar 2? <laughs> Uh, the Ways of Water, or whatever they're calling it. So, you know, I go uh, to the theater often, uh, and they play the previews every time. And I, even though I try to time it to show up right as the movie starts, I, you know, sometimes we'll be there early. And so I watch a lot of, uh, of these uh, previews. I don't go out of my way and watch it in any other setting. I, if it's in the theater, and I did watch, I think I watched a movie a week ago or two weeks ago, and they were playing it, and it looked fine. You know, I mean, I'm going to watch it no matter what, uh, the... Avatar 2, so you don't got to sell to me. I watched the latest preview for Avatar 2 and was greatly relieved to find that I'm going to hate this movie as well. (laughs) (laughs) you got to go in with an open mind. It's going to be a fun movie. I will go in with a totally open mind and absolutely certain that I'm going to hate this movie. Has James Cameron ever made a bad movie? Come on. Yes, it was called Avatar. Avatar. No, Avatar was a fun movie. Uh, anyway, the besides, so White Lotus, and that's it? Yeah, so uh, I, I think I, I haven't looked online. I don't know if this uh, this may not be a uh, the prevailing uh, theory of the case, but the holdover character, that old lady from the Jennifer first season. Jennifer Coolidge, Stifler's I, mom, yes. I, I, I could do with that. I mean, all these other characters are great. I can go with the new characters. I don't know what the connection with her is. Like, she's... I, I liked her in the first season fine, but, like, enough. She's, she's the kinda, only reason we're all here. She's, I'm not, uh, so far, it's only two episodes. I could do without her No, I her mean, scene. she's the link between. Well, the link is the hotel property. There's the hotel no reason property. for her to be in this show except sure. that well, she yeah, was wildly maybe we'll popular. See. And they the... haven't really changed her. She's kind of just like this very overly needy person, inconsiderate of others, and just kind of in her own world. I mean, it's fun for to a point. Right. But everybody else I, uh, is pretty good. I don't know if this one is worth recapping in the way that we spent a great deal of time recapping no. the House of the Dragon, Incest Dragon show. But I do want to say that I very much appreciate how much Mike White, who's the creator and writer and director of this series, how much you can taste the disdain that he has for all of his characters. It's so good. <laughs> like the, the amount that it's he so just, good. he fucking hates these people in the way that I only recognize in the way that I hate my own characters the... when I write. Uh, like it's, it's very similar. The malevolence that he infuses in them only so that he can hate them. Right. You can feel it coming off the screen. And I appreciate that. One way I judge whether or not acting is good is... I think I've said this before. People on this show, characters on the show, the whole time I'm like, who does this remind me of? 
like, who is this person? Why do I know this person? And it's just because the actor is making me think I know them. Okay. Yeah. Like, it's it's like not familiar... that they, they don't remind me of anybody. They remind right. me of them. It's just that they're doing it so well that I feel like we've met before. It's so, I like, so far, I like this season more than the first one. Are there multiple dead bodies in this one? I, yeah, I think we're going to get said a few. three or four dead bodies at least. And so far as we know of the main characters, only the the blonde is not eligible to be one of the dead bodies. The wife, the, the pretty yeah, the, wife. The pretty w- blonde wife. Oh, yeah. It's probably the the, the, the singer girl with who's kind of... We don't know. Running. We don't know. She's it's definitely going to die. It seems pretty... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, w- I'm with Abe. I would, it. I would guess happen. that there will be dead Italian prostitutes before we're done right. with this but show. But not both. Yes. Only the one that's like, oh, I have a future. I'm going to be doing this singing or whatever. And somebody's going to throw her off a window. And that's right. that. You, Abe, Abe knows how this works. <laughs> uh, he's, a wonderful, he's a wonderful writer, though, this Mike White it's guy. So good. He's, he's very, very good at what he's doing. And my guess is that I'm going to – I think that – Last time around, I, I voiced some objections to some of the underlying politics that I felt were a bit ham-fisted, and I don't think I'm going to run into it again this time. That's just that's just a wild guess. But. Is uh is there uh, maybe I'm not paying attention to every little scene, but is the uh, Christopher character? Uh, yeah, is, Christopher. Is, did he like? rape somebody like what's going on with him like no he's been cheating on his wife he's yeah, cheating but then his old man who's kind of losing it is like oh these things happen like i don't know yeah there seems he to said be... you got sloppy like like people cheat. i wonder if it's don't just get caught that... idiot is he like some sort of executive like is he i wonder if it's going that direction like he's like if some uh we've got a f we've got a uh, harvey weinstein situation yeah. on our hands or something right because it's like the way that they're kind of like on the other line the wife is like ah fuck you and leave me alone i think the daughter right. didn't show and, and the and the son being like i just don't want to be my dad like right like and he's doing this nice guy thing like uh, you know right. like i don't know yeah you might be onto something there i don't know f murray abraham is wonderful as the yes. as the horny and cranky old man uh i've always liked f murray abraham though uh, but he's he is well well cast here in this one. Uh, we also watched uh, speaking of horny old men. We also watched the Fallwell documentary on Hulu. Yes. Oh, how was that? I did not see that. It's juicy. You know it's what the good. best part of it was it. is that it's like uh, less than two hours and mm-hmm. you're fucking out and mm-hmm. it's not no multiple kidding. episodes. It's just you turn on the TV on a Wednesday night for a couple hours or and you Friday watch night, it whatever. and you're done. Nice. It was really good. Yeah, it was good. It was well done. It, it got a little bit. Uh, much at the end. They oh. get the point is at the end of it, we end up here, which is not good. So okay. like, it's a it's it's just a sad fact of the matter. Right, like the the implication. It's heavy on the implication that uh, were it not for Jerry Falwell's proclivity to watch his wife get banged by the pool boy then maybe we don't get Donald Trump? No, it's the like, fact, it's not the proclivity, it's the fact that it was covered up and right, that but, he has but the power he has. If I, not, I if not, not for if not for him being into watching his wife get banged, maybe we don't get Donald Trump is very clearly like the thesis of the last quarter of the movie. So I don't know, it must be the, the gist or on one of these podcasts that I listen to where... They were explaining that, to your point, Bob, like, I, I guess uh, 
his lawyer, his former lawyer, Cohen, Cohen. was able to kind of weaponize this information so to get Falwell to throw his support behind Trump and not a Ted Cruz or what have you, right? Right. So, so what seems to happen is that uh, Falwell and his wife go to Miami, and they, the pool boy is a hot young Cuban-type-looking fella. And he's and unaware the, of the, their he doesn't know playing who they up are. the whole religion thing in their right. real he life. He doesn't know who they are. He ends yeah. up getting seduced by the wife. Her, her name is Becky Falwell. That's how it all starts. And there's uh, photos and videos of their trysts. Well, and uh, they have a whole relationship. Right, they have a whole relationship. Right. Like, it's very much a sort of very involved, almost romantic uh, thing. It's not, not purely a sexual thing. He becomes part of the family in weird ways. Anyway, he's got a couple of scuzzy friends, a father-son duo, who are like your typical American piece-of-shit hustler types. Like shady real estate types? Right, yeah. shady real estate Miami hustler scumbags right. who end up somehow in possession of compromising video and photographic evidence of this situation, which eventually gets into the hands of Michael Cohen because he pays them off in exchange for having this. So now Michael Cohen, who's your fucking typical, like, shitty, underhanded fixer politics like a mafioso type. type right yeah like right. i have this information don't worry about it but one day i may need a favor one and- day i might need a favor and the favor was jerry falwell gives his endorsement and the full heft of the evangelical movement uh puts that behind donald trump and arguably if instead that endorsement goes to a ted cruz for example it's plausible that Ted Cruz ends up being the nominee for the Republicans in 2016 rather than Donald Trump. I just think it's a little bit uh, of a heavy-handed move to to sort of make it the point of your movie. But again, it's not the point. It's not of the, the point movie. of the it's movie. It's just the end of the movie it's, because that's how it ends. Yeah, uh, it's a little silly, but I think it's worth watching. It's it was really fun. good. Well, I'll give it a watch. Also, it's like I just can't identify at all with Jerry Falwell. I am I am a lot of things, and I don't like to talk about my kinks here on the pod. Uh, not that anybody uh, listens, but I. Uh, but my mother is one of those people. One so of that's, that's rest good. assured, listeners out there. And and now it sounds like I'm uh, uh, I doth protest too yeah, much. You're lying. It's, you're a lying liar like right now. I'm lying. But I think that anybody who got to know me in any little bit of a way would understand that I'm not lying here. But like, I just. I can't get behind the whole like watching my wife bang other dudes for my sexual pleasure thing. Like that's not my that's not you my. You heard scene. it here first, everyone. <laughs> it is a pretty weird uh, thing. Yeah, sure it is, Abe. Sounds like you're really opposed. <laughs> you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. I guess that's all we have for tonight then, and we will talk to you next time. Later. Should watch it. It's good. It's good. What's uh? What's the name of it? Oh man, that's a good point. We should have uh, said that. Shut up. It's called um. God forbid. God forbid. Yeah. Uh, okay. Hulu. I'll watch it. O- only available on Hulu. Hey, Harry.
Gary, this is Carol volunteering with Josh Thronberg's campaign for Congress. Will you be supporting Josh Thronberg for Congress this election? I said, I sure will, Carol, for all the uh, good it will do us. Because, uh, of course, Bob Good is the, is the person who's going to win. She just said, great, thanks for your support. Will you be voting absentee by mail or on election day? So I did not respond further because she made no effort whatsoever to even appreciate my, my little joke there. Uh, I then got a text from a 706 number that is one of these, uh, you know the Trump emails that come out and they're like, uh, patriots, yeah. if you don't step up now. and you know, yes. Yes. This one got a picture of Trump and it says, please, friend, President Trump needs you to update your voter veri verification canvas survey. No donation required. Take survey here with a win22.org no donation Thing. required. Yeah. What a deal. I tried to get them with uh, with a D's nuts joke. I said, you need me to update both of them? But they didn't <laughs> respond either. So. <laughs> hey, I listened to that episode of the Gab Fest. I didn't know that you were going, and I'm... I am You're upset. dead to Bob. Upset You're dead is, to Bob upset is, what, is, I, too is what I was strong, but I'm I'm a little bit uh, upset that I didn't understand. I didn't know ahead of time that you were going. I didn't know ahead of time. It was a, a same day uh, decision kind of thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Did they charge for this live thing? Yeah, it was like twenty five bucks or something. All right, so Catherine, we're gonna need some money. Uh, first <laughs> of all, <laughs> she kind of bought me dinner, so. Sounds like I'm. Uh, uh, I doth protest too yeah, much. You're lying. You're it's, a lying liar like right now. I'm lying. It was just. I just felt so uncomfortable, as though I were watching something that I shouldn't be seeing, or something along those lines. And I imagine being in the room for it was far, far worse. 